Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Langston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the honor of speaking with James Duthie. James is a sportscaster for TSN. He is currently the host of the NHL on TSN. In the past, he was the host of CFL Live, NBA on TSN, and and SportsCenter. He has a bachelor's degree in journalism from Carleton University. James has received three Gemini Awards and two Canadian Screen Awards for Best Sportscaster in Canada for his role as host on the NHL on TSN. Before moving to TSN in 1998, he worked at VTV and covered sports for three years at CGOH and CTV affiliate in Ottawa. At CTV Ottawa, he won an international Edward R. Morrow Award for News Reporting. James worked with CTV to produce the 2010 Olympic Games in Vancouver and the 2012 Games in London. He was also one of the main hosts. James has also written several books, the newest of which, The Guy on the Left, Sports Stories from the Best Seat in the House, was released in fall of 2015. James is a charity ambassador representing the Christian Children's Fund of Canada and has caused to help beat poverty in developing countries. Welcome, James. That was thorough. Very thorough. thorough. Yeah. Well, you know, you go, on, you go on Wikipedia and you, you know, get to know somebody. That you didn't you... say the, uh, the part about, uh, um, you know, I used to beat him up in public school. Well, not really. But, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> yes. Well, we will get to that. We were, uh, we were, um, formerly, um, colleagues as one would call it in school. And I was a little older than you. So, uh, I would, uh, run into you at the odd party in uh, in ottawa right, right. <laughs> isn't actually, it sad that that's now like well god 35 years ago or some freaking thing it's crazy <laughs> i had a crazy experience actually when i was in the nhl where um a scout got came in to visit our locker room and one of the guys was introducing me and he goes uh you're Scott Livingston. You're not the guy who used to have those crazy parties in, in Gloucester High School. And said, "Yeah, I had a few good parties." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had a few. Yeah, exactly. Well, your our history starts actually really early. It's kind of funny because I was just talking to you before we got on here about your mom. But your mom taught me grade seven history, which is crazy. Right. Crazy. Right. Yeah. And we've known. Yeah, each she other taught too. me too, which was very weird. Having your mom as a yeah, I think I thought I can't remember if it was grade seven or eight history I had her for. And uh, that was like the weirdest, most awkward school year of my life because it was just, it was just so strange to have your mom teaching you and uh, everyone just staring at me the whole class and, you know, uh, 
I think I once found a test on her typewriter. They had typewriters back then. And I had this big moral dilemma as to whether to, you know, take the test and research all the answers. So I think in the end, I did the right thing, which was to take the test and research all the answers. <laughs> How what, like, let's let's play off of that. How was it growing up with a mom who was a teacher? Was that uh, did that challenge you more to be a better student, or did it challenge you to be? A, yeah, yeah. Probably, probably, probably the first, uh, the former. I, I think that uh, she helped me a lot. Actually, I, I took French immersion, and uh, she was a French teacher. So I don't think I would have survived French immersion without her. And uh, so I think it was mostly positive. She was probably really tough on me. Um, you know, I don't remember that cause she's such a sweet lady, mm-hmm. but I think she, you know, I was strangely enough, a pretty good student. And I think I probably owe a, a lot of it to her cause my dad was not a great student. He was, uh, very successful in RCMP and such, but he didn't help me a lot with the homework. So it was pretty much on her. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up, uh, in the same place, Blackburn Hamlet, the hood, so to speak, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't a very difficult life for us to grow up, but, uh, what's your, what are some of your fond memories of growing up in that part of Ottawa? Oh man. Uh, well, one of them is just, you know, the fact that it, and this, we're going to date ourselves again as being old guys here, but just without having phones and the video games and the world that is exists now, just getting on your bike and riding down to, uh, you know, my Mark Ward was one of my buddies that ride to his house or Bob Tam, who was also good buddies with your brother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just going all day, just taking off at nine o'clock in the morning on your, your little bike with the big banana seat and the handlebars and just whipping around from house to house and playing, you know, ridiculous, any sport possible at uh, Glen Ogilvy public school and throwing tennis balls against the wall, whatever that game was chance, I think. And, and that was, you know, it sounds, you know, I'm sure kids, anybody listening who's, you know, under 30 is like, what the hell? But, uh, (laughs) that was, uh, that was an idyllic existence for me. And, uh, so that's, that's mostly I, what I remember is this sort of innocent childhood and gathering at Glen Ogilvy to play baseball or flag football. I used to, my mom used to give me old sheets and I'd cut, take a pair of scissors and cut the flags out and we'd all meet down there and, and play flag football. And, uh, yeah, those are just, uh, those are my, hey, like you say, it's not like we had a tough upbringing. It was, mm-hmm. it was your basic middle-class suburb in Ottawa. And, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a really good way to grow up. Yeah. What was, what was your favorite sport to play as a kid when you played like just for, for fun? What, what did you most I, enjoy doing? I rotated. So soccer was my sport. That was the one I played from a young age and played for the Gloucester Hornets. And, you know, that was my competitive sport. So that wasn't the one that I would play for fun, I think, because not that I still love soccer and I enjoyed it, but you know, you had so many practices and games that I, I, I was massive into baseball and the expos. And uh, I would go down to the, the diamond there at Glen Ogilvy by myself and like, and like throw the ball up in the air and hit it and, and then run and chase it. And I was a real idiot when I couldn't, when I couldn't, when I, when I couldn't find friends to do that. And so I went through that for a while. Baseball was my thing. And I, you know, always remember trying to get a game and you, we tried to get 10 guys, but we'd end up with about four guys and try to have a baseball game with four people 
Um, but football sort of overtook that at a certain point. And uh, football has always been my, tra- you know, the hockey is going to be the easy answer here because I host hockey. But mm-hmm. uh, when the question you're asking, the game that we, and obviously street hockey, we play all the time. But mm-hmm. I don't know, my memories of football seem to be the ones that uh, stick out, just the, the tackle games and the flag games that we would have. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, like you, you lamented the the number of different games that would break out after school or Mm. on weekends that we would play as kids. It seems like a lost art now for kids, but it was a fantastic journey when we were children. Yeah. Some of the, some of the best friends I have in my life, uh, I mentioned a couple of Mark Ward, Bob Tam, they, I met them playing this game when I, when I moved to Ottawa, I was grade three and we played this game at recess where there, there was a, there was two, there was a basketball court in front of the school and uh, each one of the nets had like two posts coming down from it. So those, this would be winter time now. And we would make those two posts, the goals, Mm -hmm. and we'd have a rubber hockey puck and you'd play with your feet. And we all, and the bizarre thing I always remember is there was two goalies on each team. So there was like two levels of goalie. You had to beat the one goalie, and then there was a second goalie behind the goalie. And I don't know who the heck made up these rules, but we would play every single recess or lunch hour. There'd probably be, you know, 10 kids on each team kicking around this rubber puck, minus 20 degrees in Ottawa, uh, trying to beat two goalies and kick it between two posts of a basketball net. So, <laughs> yeah, those, those uh, and again, those... I remember distinctly meeting those two guys who ended up still to this day, two of my best friends. So there you go. That's awesome. I, I remember, uh, I don't know if you ever went, did the tobogganing over on that Bearbrook Hill. That was oh the, yeah, of course. And I was having a conversation with my daughter the other day and I, she was going tubing at one of these, you know, highfalutin tubing places where they actually drag you back up the hill. <laughs> right. and, I, and I was saying to her, well, we used to climb up the hill with her toboggans and she looked at me like I had three <laughs> heads. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and for your listeners too, that, that was an awesome toboggan hill. Yeah. Like, I think, I don't even, they made that, that was actually an official toboggan hill, which they yeah. groomed for tobogganing. <laughs> and it must have been, okay, things always seem bigger when you're younger, but, you know, it was probably, what, 100 yards, 150 yards, top to bottom? Yeah, it was big. Yeah, so you're you're talking, you know, 20 seconds down, 30 seconds down, and about seven minutes back up. <laughs> so we had to work our runs hard there. And if it got icy... There was like a little fence at the bottom, but you could go, uh, yeah, you had to hit the brakes pretty hard or you were uh, catapulting yourself onto uh, whatever road, Montreal Road or whatever that was there. <laughs> and one of my most shocking recollections, as, even as I look back as a dad, was I remember, I always remember one time being at the bottom and this guy, father, put his child of one years old on one of those crazy saucers and I remember looking at his face as I was at the bottom of the hill and he let go of his daughter. And then you saw this realization on his face, like, I don't think that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and That's this true. baby goes bouncing down the hill. Oh my God. Yeah. Tell me, um, tell me from, from those, that early life, what, what brought you to in, from a school perspective to, having an interest in, an interest in journalism and getting into what you've gotten into. Well, I think like all of us young delusional athletes <laughs> that I thought I was going to make it and it never entered my head 
that I was not going to be a professional something. And I, I, I probably knew early that I was not going to be a professional hockey player because I started late. I, I moved to Ottawa. I was eight years old. I never skated before because I lived in BC in Victoria where you just didn't play hockey. And, uh, so I, I, I moved to Ottawa. I was eight years old. I'd never had skates on before. So I was so far behind everybody. And it took me till I was about 14 to sort of even catch up to be a decent hockey player. Mm. Um, so I, I, I guess I was, didn't have illusions about the NHL, but I believe for whatever reason that somehow I was going to make it in like the NFL, or if I didn't make the NFL, I'd make the CFL. Uh, for football, which was a ludicrous thought if I if I looked at my lack of genetic gifts. <laughs> but, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12 years old, that's what you think. But somewhere along the way, I love sports so much. I, it really, it, it's funny when I think about it now because you have kids and you go on with life and sports is my job, but you're never as passionate as you are when you're, when you're a kid. And I just, I live for sports every moment of the day. And somewhere along the way, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old, I started to focus on the commentators and I would turn down the television and do my own play-by-play on, uh, on football games and hockey games occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, didn't, I don't think necessarily I thought at the time, hey, I want to be a broadcaster. I just sort of did that. Mm-hmm. And because um, being a broadcaster doing that didn't seem realistic to me. I didn't, uh, I didn't dream very big back then. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was an RCMP officer. I always thought I'd probably do one of those two things. Mm-hmm. And it, it seemed very foreign to even dream about being on, you know, on television and doing this. And I think it was not until grade 12 or 13 when you, I walked into the guidance counselor's office at Gloucester High School and said, um, you know, what, what can I do for, how could I stay involved in sports? once I was starting to realize I wasn't going to be an athlete and, and he popped it into his little computer and uh, a few things came up and one of them was journalism. I think sports admin or something. Uh, and so I said, Hmm, and that's, I ended up applying for, for journalism and got sidetracked where I didn't do sports for a lot of years because there, there just weren't the jobs, but eventually led me back. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it worked out. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. What is your what What was the influence of your dad growing up as a police officer? There was a lot of guys in the RCMP who lived in Blackburn Hamlet, and mm-hmm. a lot of our of our buddies had fathers who were in the RCMP. How did that affect you as a as a kid? Did you, did you try to lay lower, or or you know what what was that for you? <laughs> well, I I got I hate talking about it now that my dad's passed away, but I he was tough. Uh, you know, not tough in the you know, didn't bring out the belt or anything, but he was a tough, strict dad. Mm-hmm. And I think the RC, he's just the RCMP way. That's the way he knew. Mm-hmm. So I was probably a pretty conservative kid and I was probably on my best behavior. Now, I think like a lot of us, there was rebellion in high school and I led a bit of a double life. Uh, you know, my, I think my parents thought I was the sweetest, most innocent <laughs> kid ever because I just couldn't, you know, they wouldn't let me do the things I wanted to do. And so, I, uh, I had to, you know, I, I, I sort of, I think sometimes was a different person. I, I hid my drinking nights and such very well from my parents <laughs> to the point my wife still laughs because, you know, she'll talk to my mom who's, uh, you know, 80, 85 now or 86 and, uh, says, uh, my mom will still say, Oh, 
Jamie. Jamie was never drunk. He never, I don't think he's ever been drunk in his life. And uh, <laughs> my wife just laughs and says, you really have no clue, do you? So, <laughs> but uh, no, I he was just like, you, seeing yeah. you drunk. So that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, uh, yeah. So I had to, I had to play around a little bit very carefully in high school, but uh, you know, he, and people say now, did he, did he probably know? Uh, you know, I, I, I had good talks with my dad, especially in his latter years. He he relaxed a lot when he got older and uh, mm. our relationship got way better and I think got way closer than we were back then just because to your father, you know, the, my dad, the RCMP officer, you know, I always saw him in this full uniform in his Stetson and he was an intimidating figure in my life and sort of the, the main figure. And so um, I don't, I think I had a lot of respect for him, but we mm. didn't have necessarily the... Uh, you know, that real close open relationship until a little bit later, until I became a man and got married and had kids and all that. Mm. And then, uh, you know, but he was, he was a fantastic dad. He was just, uh, you know, we laughed a lot and such. He coached me in soccer, but, uh, so he taught me a, a lot of stuff, but he was, he was a, a very conservative, uh, conservative guy. What was the, what was the biggest thing from your father that in, uh, of an influence factor that you feel has rubbed off on you as a person? Work ethic, I think. I, I saw him work for everything he had. Uh, he was born into no money in BC, grew up pretty poor, and worked just worked his ass off like in the RCMP uh, to get to assistant commissioner by the time he was done. Hmm. And uh, I, like I said, he wasn't the greatest student or anything. He just he just worked, and I, I think he taught me more than anything else that you had to do that, that nothing comes easy. And, uh, that's probably his number one lesson to me. And what was your mom's? Oh, my, my mom taught me a lot. Um, that's a great question. Maybe just to, to be yourself and let you, she always accepted. I was always a quirky personality, I think. And people who have watched me on TV probably see that I'm a bit of an idiot. And I, I think she, she always really accepted that and, uh, not encouraged it, but, you know, she let me, uh, you know, she just wanted, you know, be yourself and pursue what you want. That's the other thing. I think both of them were very, you know, even though my dad could have been, my dad's personality could have said, Hey, you need to go in the RCMP, get a decent job or whatever. Or, uh, they all, they were always very much pursue whatever you want. And I, so I think that's, uh, came from both of them but my mom in particular was to pursue your passion mm -hmm. i want to play off of that a little bit and you you went into sort of into journalism and then into broadcasting but you were a newsman to start with and then mm -hmm. did did the move to sports was that partially driven by your obviously your interest in sport but was it also driven by your interest in being a little bit playful with what you do or did that just sort yes of, okay yeah i think you nailed it scott like when i so i always when i took journalism I, I wanted to do sports in journalism school i always chose the sports stories whenever i could mm -hmm. but at that time we're talking late 80s uh there was no tsn um no sports networks really in this country or i can't remember the exact year tsn started maybe 89 or something um it was just in its infancy, and the only jobs in sports casting were the local guys at the station that you saw. Mm -hmm. in, in my case, Brian Smith and Bill Patterson, who you probably remember, right. yeah, the yeah. two local sportscasters forever, and Dan Sagan. Those were the only 
and and that was the way it was in almost every city, right? Two or three sportscasters at the TV stations, and those were the only guys I saw. And so there just weren't jobs in sports. And I was fortunate enough to get hired by CJOH, the CTV station in Ottawa. Um, during my last year of journalism school, I did an internship. This is the way the world works, but, uh, you know, lucky breaks. Uh, I did an internship. You did a one-week internship at, at the station that was part of uh, graduating from Carleton. And uh, I guess I did a decent job. And then Guy Lepage, another name you might remember, who was mm-hmm. a reporter and anchor in Ottawa, he, he broke his rib uh, skiing <laughs> on the Saturday or the Sunday after my internship. And so they needed a reporter to cover a Monday shift and, uh, you know, this kid had just been there on Friday and I guess he was fresh on their mind. So they called me, I covered a shift Monday. They brought me back Tuesday, brought me back Wednesday, two weeks. I was hired for the summer and I never stopped working full time at that station. So, uh, and, and that was news, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. where, that's where the work was. And I kept telling the bosses there, I want to do sports. I want to do sports. And they kept sort of pushing me away saying, you know, you're a good reporter, do news sports is you know, sports is the toy department of the newsroom. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I sort of started believing that actually for a while and t- turned my focus to news and maybe becoming a national reporter or anchor someday for about five years. And, but sports was always at the back of my mind. And the thing that really bothered me about news was the negativity. Uh, mm-hmm. There were some fun stories in there and I really enjoyed it, but I hated the murders and the, the part of news that feasts on misery Mm. and i can distinctly remember three and this probably hit me hard because it was high school football players which was what i did uh died uh i think as they went to montreal to party or something and crashed on the way back from montreal Mm. and and died and i had to go to one of their houses to knock on the door and ask for a photo from from their family like the day after the crash and I mean, that's part of the news job, unfortunately, when you're covering these stories. It was a big story in Ottawa. But, and I remember walking to that door, just it was the queasiest feeling in my stomach, not wanting to be there at all. And, uh, you know, the mother who answered was obviously crushed and crestfallen. She just lost her son. And she, she was really nice. She got me the picture. You know, I, I tried to apologize for being there, just said I was doing my job and that we wanted to show a picture of on television. But I remember walking away from that house saying, I do not want to do this anymore. Mm. Like, I do not want to be in this negative world. And, uh, and wow. then, uh, you know, weird things happened. Uh, tragic things happened. And I ended up uh, uh, getting an opportunity in sports. Mm-hmm. And you took that and, you know, the, you get into this sort of burgeoning world of, of 24-hour sports, so to speak, TSN. Um, what, what was your first day like in, in, in that? What, what was the, the feeling of, of sort of connecting with that, that new, that new sort of world, so to speak of, of 24 hour sport. So my first day, not my first day in sportscasting, my first day no. at TSN. Yeah. Um, yeah, cause I was going to say my first day as a sportscaster, I looked at the wrong camera for the entire sports. <laughs> everybody just saw my ear. So that didn't go so well. Uh, but they gave me a couple of years in local TV in Ottawa to get better at it. So, um, my first day at TSN, uh, well, 
it's funny. All I remember about it was it was uh, hosting actually CFL, and uh, I mean I did a couple of little gigs. It's funny. I did the first. I was working out in Vancouver. I left CJOH and uh, was working at a TV station in Vancouver, also doing news when TSN hired me. So my actual first event was uh, the Royal Bank Cup Hockey Championship, and I was the host. And so I still live, was living in BC. I hadn't even officially started the TSN, but the bosses said, "Why don't you go host this event? That could be your debut." And I was very nervous, very nervous. Even though, it, if I look at it now, the RBC Cup is, uh, you know, it's a big event, but not a, a massive event on TSN as far as an audience. But I was nervous as all heck. And I remember the producer; they wanted to pre-tape uh, the opening. I guess because they were worried that I would screw it up. So it was about a one-minute one minute opening, and I screwed it up literally about ten times in a row. <laughs> and I just – it was some – there was some graphic or something that I was supposed to read that I just couldn't get straight. And I can remember hearing the panic in the producer's voice, uh, re- like thinking in his head probably, this guy can't do this, <clears throat> and we're screwed because we're about to go live in five minutes. And 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 <laughs> – and the tension in his voice and me starting the panic and I could, you know, you, you, the cameraman sort of behind the camera looking at you like, where did they get this dude? <laughs> and yeah, it was. And so I remember the, the producer saying, okay, this it's one minute to air. This is basically live. If we don't do it, we have to go live. And I finally got it. And once I got through that opening, I, I was fine for the rest of the night. And, and uh, but that was that's the first thing I remember, really. Uh, my first big gig was hosting a CFL game. That was my first job at TSN, okay. as, as you said off the top. And uh, um, yeah, it was. I, I started with two other rookies, so the two guys who were my analysts on the panel. So we were all kind of in it together, and uh, uh, you know, it felt right actually. Once, once, once I got going, I'm sure I was incredibly nervous, and if I looked at it, I'd cringe. But uh, it was it it was where I wanted to be. I always felt like. As soon as TSN sort of became a thing and became a big thing in Canada, I always thought this is where I wanted to work. Mm. And uh, uh, so, as soon as I got there, it just it it felt right for me. What do you? What's your favorite part of being part of the live performance of sport? The the mm-hmm. the, the, the moments that happen in front of you, and then you know what, yeah. what do you really love about that? Exactly what you just said, basically. The, the big moments that you're eyewitness to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little different. The play-by-play guys certainly are, have more of that because they're the ones calling the, the moments as they happen. Uh, my job is more reacting a, you know, a few minutes later, whether it's an intermission or a post-game or whatever that may be. But uh, I, I really love live sporting events and... I'll, you know, I, I wrote in my book that the Olympics in 2010 was probably the highlight for me uh, of my entire career, just what that meant in the country and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being 30 feet away when Crosby scored his goal. and uh, The World Juniors every year, I love being there in the rink and the atmosphere uh, is just fantastic for things like that. So that's that's my biggest thrill on the job is getting to be there, Mo- you know, 75% of my year is studio, which, mm-hmm. you know, I love. It's like sitting around with your buddies watching games, and I love all of that. But I really like the live events that I get to do every year. And I'm sort of into a routine where 
you know, I do a bunch of hockey games live, but the World Juniors, the Super Bowl, the Masters, uh, and the mm. occasional Olympics are, are all things that I really love. Did you choose the the direction as to being not directly broadcasting, like you said, play by play or color versus Host. what you do hosting? Yeah. Is that a choice you made, or is that something you, that just sort of? Uh, that, that's that's an interesting question. If if you would have asked me when we knew each other when we were younger, my what my dream would have been, it probably was to be play by play, right? As as I told you earlier, when mm. we we're when we we're chatting about turning down the TV and doing play by play for football was actually, I think my dream. If you, if you would have said at 16, what would you really, what would be your biggest fantasy in life? I'd say probably to do play by play for the national, for the NFL. Mm-hmm. And if not that, the CFL, I was a big fan of both. Um, the first job that I was offered to me was hosting. I was hosting CFL and NBA and you now I guess I did okay at it and sort of fell into that loop of, of being a host and, and, which was totally great for me. I did venture um, into play-by-play for a while for CFL. I did about 10 games during the NHL lockout season, and I really liked that and, and thought maybe I was going to end up going there, but then, then you know, hockey just kind of took over, and hockey became so big and always has been at TSN that it's really hard to do anything else when when you're hosting hockey for 10 months, basically. And then you have kids and everything, and you're it just, uh, yeah. It'd be. So play-by-play kind of went by the wayside. And I don't who knows? Maybe I probably found the right thing. I don't think I'd be nearly as, as gifted as somebody like a Chris Cuthbert, who's so fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I had the pipes of a Rod Smith to do that. So uh, I, mm-hmm. probably found, I probably found the right thing for me. Um, but once in a while, I say to myself, you know, Maybe I'll take another crack someday when they when they're sick of seeing my mug on TV as a host of uh, maybe going back and doing some more play by play. Take the crazy like it, it would yeah. drive uh, any of your listeners who are you know are listening to this who are you know young broadcasters or something. I, I have to be the only broadcaster in history that my very like usually the story on play by play is you do you know high school maybe you do university maybe you get a job with a junior team. And then you work your way up and maybe get uh, an AHL team or something and finally make it to the pros. My very first play-by-play game at any level was doing an NBA game. Wow. <laughs> like, I, I, and I was like just thrown into the fire of doing a Raptors game in, uh, I think it was 1999. I'd never done any play-by-play in my life besides sitting in front of my TV in my underwear. And... Uh, I was doing a Raptors game, which uh, was crazy, but it was fun. What, what do you think is your greatest strength at what you do and your greatest weakness at what you do? <sighs> strength, um, I, I, I think it would sort of be 1A and 1B is 1A, I, I prepare really hard. And that's probably another thing that my parents taught me is that and I think it probably comes from insecurity. And I think most six decently successful humans are like this, that the fear of failure of, and particularly in television, the fear of looking like an idiot, which I still sometimes do, but the fear of, fear of really failing on TV is a motivator. Hmm. And I don't get nervous on television anymore. I, that, that ship sort of sailed many years ago. I feel very comfortable. But 
I still am anxious enough that I prepare like crazy um, so that I won't ever look, you know, be caught in a situation where I'm not ready for something. Mm-hmm. I still have dreams. Like the, the nightmares I have related to my job are about not being prepared and just being stuck on the situation and people ask me questions and I don't know the answers to. And I have those still once in a while. So, and then that's, I guess, the message I would have for people is you just have to prepare like crazy. And that's, what, that's how you end up being relaxed on television is because mm-hmm. you know you're not going to be put in a situation where you don't know anything. I think you're, the anxiety and nervousness comes from not being prepared. Uh, and the second part was just, I, I think, just being myself. Um, that early along the way, I, I realized that you have to, and maybe Bill Patterson back in Ottawa taught me this, that just don't, you know, be yourself, which sounds like the most obvious advice that anybody ever gives, but it's true in television that people can sniff a phony out. Mm. And so I have a bit of a goofy personality. And once I was comfortable enough to share that on television, that I think I started to do much better. And mm. uh, if people didn't like that, that's fine. But if, if, if people did, they knew they were at least seeing the real person. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, weakness. Yes. Uh, that's probably a longer list. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, let's see Um, God I have a I mean there's a lot of things that I'm not great at I I think there's a a weakness now that I'll have is sometimes I'm too comfortable and uh, uh, maybe don't occasionally don't take things seriously enough or uh, will occasionally say something maybe that I'll regret after that I was too loose on. I swore the other day on the radio. I don't know how that happened. I've never happened before to me, but I guess I was just too relaxed a discussion with somebody. Um, And God, I'm not good looking enough. That's a huge weakness. Thank God. Thank God I'm in Canada. Um, Well, I I probably don't watch myself enough. I don't practice enough anymore. That's one thing I did when I was a young broadcaster is I'd watch everything I do which I highly recommend to young broadcasters because you pick up on, on mistakes you make or tendencies that you have. I don't do that enough anymore. Mm-hmm. I should do that more now, uh, which kind of contradicts the preparation thing, but I, 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 don't, I still don't love watching myself, period. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, curious, I'm yeah. curious. One of the things you guys, like you seem to have, I think makes what you do appealing to a, a, your audience uh, uh, certainly for myself anyways coming from a from the world of performance sport is that you know in the dressing room there's kind of a code of conduct with the guys where you know everybody likes to chirp each other and you know give it to each other and that's kind of a, a character trait in that industry and you seem to have found with your peers um, a way to do that in a gracious manner on tv is that something you 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 you, you created uh, through your own license uh, of work or is that something that just started happening and you noticed that it, that it was, that it was playing well or like, how did you guys create that, that energy or that sense that you could chirp each other and have some fun on the air versus just delivering the information, so to speak. Right. 
Um, and you know, maybe that some people would think that was one of the weaknesses I had maybe is that I don't uh, give those guys enough respect. Sometimes I'll chirp somebody like Jeff O'Neill all the time, but he mm. chirps me back. Uh, I think that's <laughs> part of the hockey. Like you say that that's just kind of like hockey, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. And I, I want, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to your question. I think it does happen organically and it just happens naturally and you have to have the right group of guys for it to mm-hmm. happen. And we have that at TSN, so I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. But you look at part of, part of what you try to create is the same feeling that a bunch of guys would have watching the game. Because in essence, that's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're a bunch of guys watching the game. It just happens that you're sitting beside ex-NHLers and a guy like Bob McKenzie, who's uh, you know one of the most astute insiders in the game, or Darren Drager, whoever that may be. And... Uh, so, but besides that, you're still just a bunch of guys watching the game. And Mm -hmm. so I I think that maybe I did make an effort at trying to recreate that, even though we have suits and powder puffs and what, what would guys be doing if they were watching the game, they're chirping each other and, uh, and taking little shots at each other and not taking it too seriously. I think that's one thing that's really important. I know we as Canadians take hockey incredibly seriously. Mm-hmm. And we're incredibly passionate about it, but you can't take the individual game. It is still an escape for all of us. It's not mm-hmm. life and death. And I think we have to remember that you have to treat the game with respect and you have to treat it seriously in, in the way you cover it, but it's a game. Mm-hmm. And so if you can't have fun, you know, sitting there chirping about a hockey game, I, I then you have a problem. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure there's pump some people that think we're we're too relaxed and it's too asinine, but I think that's that's what that's what it should be. It's sports, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so uh, so yeah, I, it's conscious, but I think it happens organically as well. I want to switch gears for a second. You're you know you're a dad, and when you became a dad, how did that change you? Um, and maybe your your connection to your craft, or did it? Uh, it, 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 I'll tell you this, it, it, it just makes it harder to be as driven, passionate as, as attentive to the games. Like I had three kids in three and a half years. And I, I said to somebody once that with every kid, you have to give up a sport <laughs> in what you follow. Like if, if, at 25, I knew more about sports than I at any other time in my life. I knew every major professional sport inside and out. I could tell you every player in major league baseball, their batting average within about five points, their RBI totals within about three and their home run totals within one either way. I could, I knew college football inside and out. I knew college basketball because that's all I did was watch that stuff. And then you, all of a sudden your priorities completely switch. So you probably get married, you lose one sport. My my son, I gave up probably college football. Daughter born, gave up college basketball. Second daughter born, uh, kind of gave up baseball. I was mad at baseball anyway after the Expos died. And <laughs> and so then you realize you only have so many hours in the day and your kids become your life and you want to spend all that time with them. And so you just can't watch what you used to watch anymore. So I will fully admit that I know less about sports today by far than I did at 25, but I make sure I know enough about the sports that I cover. So mm. I know hockey very well. I know uh, the NFL very well. I know CFL well. 
And, uh, you know, when the Olympics come around, I study, I study mm-hmm. for it. And I, I know golf very well, but golf's a passion that I watch all the time. So, uh, but I, I, I'd be exposed on the NBA right now. If I had to go on sports center and do NBA, you know, I try to follow, but if I had to do baseball, I'd be lost. I, I readily admit all those things because it just becomes impossible. So, um, yeah, you know, that, that's the first, that's the main answer. It just limits your time. But, uh, and your passion becomes about your kids' sports, right? You're, mm. You want to watch them or, or dance or whatever they may be into. That becomes much more important to you than watching the game every night. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to ask you a performance sport question because a lot of my listenership is in the high performance sport. And when you look back at your career of looking at sport and watching sport and being a fan of sport and being inside sport in some sense, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you see a team like the New England Patriots or some of the great the great franchises that have that have existed in the, in the various leagues, um, what do you think are the the central character traits that that create that success, that 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 standing success that is consistent and not just uh, a drift uh, in in and out. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, a couple of obvious things would be consistency, and if you can make a, uh, you know, you can make a parallel most most successful most dynasties, whether you know of our generation. You know, there's Belichick and Brady and let's say the San Antonio Spurs that had a similar dynasty where they didn't win every year, but they win every second year, win two out of three and then go a couple of years and then win two straight again. You know, Popovich and Tim Duncan and some of the other players. And uh, so that culture and consistency, and, but you always have to get lucky and have the superstars too, I think, mm-hmm. right? You, you, somewhere along the way, a couple of guys fall into your lap in the in the Patriots case you use it's the brilliance of Belichick and he happens to have Brady you know fall into his lap and to his credit um nurtures him but uh so you have to get lucky first and then you have to have guys that are smart enough to to know what to do with that luck and mm. and breathe I hate the word culture because it's used all the time in sports and the losing teams everybody tries to say they have a culture but I don't know what, how you define that culture but there's it certainly exists mm. um when you talk about the Edmonton Oilers, obviously there's been something wrong with that culture forever and you can't quite put your finger on what it is. Coaches and GMs try to change it, players trying to change it, but it doesn't change. So um, consistency, luck about getting getting great players and somehow that all comes together once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know what? I, I don't think, you know, TSN's no different, right? You get, you get a guy like Bob McKenzie who's uh, amazing at what he does and, and we don't change the people very often for 20 years and and I think that's one reason that we've been successful as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to sort of um, bring this sort of to a close to a degree. I, I one of my questions that I often ask people is um, if, if you could meet yourself 20, 30 years ago when you were a kid kind of starting in this business, what would be your advice to yourself? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. That is a great question. Um, uh, man, the, the thing is, I, I feel like I'm, I'm so, I'm so lucky that everything's gone. I've gotten a lot of really good breaks along the way. And that's in a business like mine. I, I think that, and that has to happen. I think in a lot of businesses, uh, high performance sport, I think you earn your breaks most of the time by hard work and, and talent. Uh, 
in our business and in most job businesses, you, you need, you need breaks along the way and then you need to take advantage of those breaks. And I think that's happened to me. So I, I don't like, it's not like I have regrets. It's not like I'd say to myself, Hey, don't do this or do this instead. Um, I just basically say, enjoy the ride because, uh, and maybe not stress some of the little things. I think that, uh, I, I don't want to sound like the goofy, don't sweat the small stuff or whatever, but I think that I've, we all lose, um, we all worry about things at all ages that are, there are, there are generally important things to worry about, but there are other things like, you know, times I've screwed up on the air that maybe I've beat myself up for weeks over. Mm-hmm. And then I realize that everybody forgets and nobody really notices anymore, <laughs> especially in today's news cycle. So maybe I, I maybe I would have told myself to enjoy it a little more. Um, and enjoy the, enjoy the big moments because that's one thing is when, uh, one thing I lament about my job is that you don't really have time to soak in the big moments. Uh, you automatically, like when Crosby scored his goal in 2010, uh, I mean, I maybe took five seconds to look around the building and, and go, wow, that was unbelievable. (laughs) And, and then automatically you, you go into, okay, what am I going to say about it? Right. Mm -hmm. That's, That's, your job. What am I going to say about this goal? How am I going to frame this? Mm-hmm. Uh, where did, and I think I've gotten better now at taking a couple of minutes to soak it in and, and enjoy it as a, as a fan or as a witness before, instead of just focusing completely on my job and, um, yeah, and hopefully yeah. the words just come out right. If that, if that makes sense, but I don't have any hard advice. I think I I've made pretty good decisions along the way. Maybe financially, I'd give myself a little better advice. <laughs> I'd say, Jimmy, take a couple of business courses in university because, and that's, I, I laugh, but that's actually true. And I give that advice to my son who's actually studying business and my daughters is that no matter what job you do, whether you're going to be teacher, lawyer, garbage man, computer programmer, you name it, you need business skills. And I did not have them. And that was one of my dad's few faults. I mean, he saved very well, but. He didn't teach me anything about business. Mm. And uh, I, I really think you need to learn your way around business and stocks and savings and things like that. Uh, I was not good at it. And it's taken me, you know, until this age to finally figure out, you know, how to do things properly. <laughs> so probably blowing a lot of money along the way because of that. So, so that would be my only, uh, my only concrete advice was uh, take a business course, young James. There you go. I uh, do a thing in my podcast. I discovered a book a few years back after my second divorce called The Day You Were Born. And it's, uh, it combines numerology with astrology. And I always read every, every one of the, the um, date of births has a purpose and then a, sort of a saying that goes with it. And I kind of discovered my purpose through it. So I read this to my guests and nine times out of 10 people are kind of floored by it. So you're a Taurus four. Okay. And your, your purpose is to use your constant need for change and tension for a positive goal that will allow you to experience your personal truth and be a positive catalyst for others in their lives. You are unique. And if that is not fulfilled, then something has been lost, said Martha Graham, a true Taurus. With Taurus 4, the individual prevails. The challenge is for them to remain their own person while being part of a relationship. A born catalyst, the Taurus Four, has the power to affect change through ideas, experience, and sometimes just by their presence. They may be shunned because they are product, 
provocative, but they'll never be accused of being boring. This dynamic is restless and in a state of constant flux. Few people can keep up with their ability to transform the moment, arriving at a new place and perspective while others are still trying to understand something that Taurus Ford discarded ages ago. They are often misunderstood, but with maturity, they begin to respect their ability to affect change. Hopefully, they use this ability in a positive way and not just to create trouble. These people reach a point of, in life when they don't care what others think. Their uniqueness brings them success. They bring excitement wherever they go. Their ability to handle many different things simultaneously astounds even their biggest fans. However, if they are indiscriminate and ruled by their need for excitement, they could find themselves wandering, wondering who is next to them in the morning. Too much togetherness makes them nervous. They need the space to grow. Does that uh, relate to it at all? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of stuff in there. Um, it sounded for a while like I was either going to be me or if I turned a dark road, I was going to be like a Bond villain. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, so, I can see that in you. <laughs> yeah. I like, I think you described you to, you, there was definitely some of me in there. And then there was definitely some like some badass guys from movies in there that, you know, try to blow up the planet. <laughs> but ho- hopefully I've stayed on the right side of that. But uh, no, there's, uh, I think there's definitely, definitely some truths in there for sure. Beautiful. Well, I will finish this uh, by saying to you, um, you 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 will perish from this earth hopefully not for a long time but what would you what would you like to be remembered for or how would you like to be remembered uh when you're um i decided long ago that i don't care if people remember me for anything in broadcasting i i hope the only thing that i hope i'd be remembered for is being uh, a good father and a good husband and and a good friend for people who are friends to me. And those three things are one thing that's divided into three is all that matters to me. If, uh, you know, if people remember me as a broadcaster, they like great. If they hated me, great. That's, that's all fine. Um, I, I think that the world we live in, it's nobody gets re- remembered anymore. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I read a really cool thing that, uh, Conan O'Brien, was talking about just the other day about he was uh um i don't know he was talking to albert brooks and they were uh he was talking about you know he didn't he got kicked off the nbc show and still has had a show but it's been you know not a as big an audience and you know we worried about his legacy and everything like that and you know and he said to albert brooks well you know you've done you've done movies you know nobody remembers the stupid talk show movies are movies are iconic that'll be remembered you'll be remembered forever and albert brooks said screw off nobody's going to remember any of us for anything everybody just moves on Mm -hmm. and that's i think once we all wrap our heads around that um you know and just try to be the best person you can be and uh then then that's that's all that matters if i was focused on how i to be remembered as a in my job then i think you're fighting a losing battle so those things i mentioned are the only things i really care about that's cool. Good on you. Well, sir, thank you for taking some time with me. It was really nice to catch up with you. It's been a long, long time. but uh, Yeah, it was great, buddy. I really appreciated the, the chat and uh, lots of good memories that you stirred up that I hadn't thought about in a long time. So uh, thanks for your time. All right, man. Take care of yourself. Be good. Okay, buddy.
Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.